The following content depicts adults using adult language and discussing adult topics, including violence, drugs, and sex. Viewer discretion is advised. Recording. Hello, everybody. It's your friendly neighborhood DM, Dylan. This week's session was unfortunately deleted. Poof, gone forever. So, instead of your regularly scheduled session, this week you'll be experiencing a full recap of the events thus far. So, without further ado, when last we were defiant. <laughs> when last we were defiant. So, when last we were defiant. When last we were defiant. Thus far in our adventure, the party, temporarily named Defiant, won the random roster tournament and became official members of the Wayfinder Society Mercenary Guild. On behalf of the Council of Bellion, ruling body of Cantor, we congratulate you on your winning. We acknowledge your acceptance into the Wayfinder Society Mercenary Guild the city's first line of defense, and honored historical guild. Please, enjoy the evening's revelry in your honor. After a night of drunken revelry, the party was introduced to Guildmaster Froman. Oh, hello, I'm Guildmaster Froman. Uh, you see, sitting before you, a gnome. Uh, you see this, this gnomish creature, he is, he is very small, but he has these large, sort of bulbous eyes. Uh, he seems to be wearing some form of monk's raiment, uh, sort of simple cloth clothes, um, and this sort of uh, shock of just like wild yellow hair uh, above his head. They were given their guild coins, which identify them as guild members, and have also been enchanted as coins of far speech, linked to this guild hall, Stone of Far Speech, which will allow them distant communication with members of the guild. The party was offered two starting contracts, one to the border of Fespis, the other to the border of Grundleware. After a lively debate, the majority ruled to head to Fespis that night. Uh, we'll, we'll go the, 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 we'll go to Norn. Varric, are you okay with Alright. It doesn't matter what he thinks. It's far against Jesus, one. guys! Well, it sounds unanimous then! You're all wanting to go to Fespis! <laughs> After the meeting, the party immediately split as Casanova and Call explored the guild hall, and Nordmir, Varric, and Aaron went to the lobby for directions. So you're you're sort of peering around Casanova and uh, walking, as, up and down walking it up and down the aisles and stuff, uh, familiarizing yourself with the guild hall. No need to roll. Um, and then as you're sort of finishing up and approaching the staircase again. A uh, call who's just sort of been quietly following you just calls out, says, Hello! Anybody there? And you just turn on you smack him. And uh, from one of the doorways, uh, a, a human man pops his head out. He goes, Uh, excuse me, what are you, what are you all doing? Oh, hello. My name is Casanova, and... I am uh, one of the victors of Defiance, and I am just familiarizing myself with your building. Okay. What's uh, your name? Jack. Jack, Jack what? Uh. 
<laughs> Jack. Jack Ryang. <laughs> Jack Ryang. In preparation, the party divided again and spent some of their tournament winnings on supplies for the journey. After embarking on their first mission as a traveling group, the days go by without issue, until the party reaches the fields of Dialostok. Three days into the journey from the base of the southern mountains to the border of Fespis, the party is ambushed by a band of orcs and goblins. You actually do hear something approaching. Um, what do you do? I rouse the person next to me, which I believe is Varric. I mean, it can be whoever you want, Aaron. Yeah, it's, it's nighttime, oh. so we're not in the caravan right now. Oh, okay. Well, then I will rouse um, Casanova. Okay. Uh, so, Casanova, you are woken up by Aaron in the night. Well, is it morning? No. There's something out there, and I don't know what it is. Is it a duck? I wish it were a duck, but I don't know. Thanks to the keen perception of their cleric, Aaron Bromdor. The party is mostly awoken before the start of combat. After quickly dispatching the attack, Casanova discovers that the orcs are carrying a great deal more gold than is common for a simple orc tribe. The party begins to suspect a targeted attack. They decide to move along. Nordmir took point, driving the cart, while the rest of the party finished a long rest. So tell me, what... Uh... What comes to mind? What does Nordmir think about when he is alone with his thoughts? Right now, he's concerned about why we were attacked and ambushed by what looks like three orcs that were paid to attack us. He questions what their motivation could be if our, we are really carrying textiles then they should have no reason to attack us. Um. Meanwhile, Call, their half-work companion, was visited by a vision from his god. Another brutal attack to the east. But as he shared his vision with the party, they came to realize that this attack had not yet happened. Utilizing his animal connections, Varric sent a hawk messenger to warn the other caravan of the approaching confrontation. You said you need a message sent somewhere? I do. We have knowledge that we ha that our other party is about to be ambushed, and we need to send help their way. But we uh, we can't reach there in time. Surely a bird of your speed and strength would be able to get there very quickly. Of course, see, of course. Now where am I going? As they reach the border of Fespis, the team meets a friendly wood elf and a member of the Fespis branch of the Wayfinder Society. After a brief exchange and the payment, the party was contracted. Elson Gelt pulls out, uh, pulls out several large pouches uh, and hands them over to uh, Balder. Uh, here's that payment you were promised. Uh, the uh, guild, of course, thanks you for your service, and uh, we look forward to hearing back, uh, hearing back what happened. You know, uh, keep us keep us posted on the the more happening. We uh, hate to see all that going on. I don't, don't get too much of that in the forest, but, uh, you know, things being what they are. They were contacted by Guildmaster Froman. Apparently, Call's vision had become a reality. As such, Froman was petitioning an official contract to hunt down the orc band responsible, the Open Palm. We at the Guild have actually petitioned the Council of Bellion to submit an official contract 
to hunt down the orc band and exterminate their number, as well as, if possible, retrieve the stolen goods and deliver them to the coast, the, uh, the border of Grundleware. Now, of course, since your party had already expressed an interest in this endeavor, uh, we are reaching out to you to have first pick of the contract, should you so choose. Due to the party's previous interest, they were being offered first dibs on this contract. More information was to follow in the few days. Now, as the party begins to wonder about this threat, they move ever closer to some new mystery. They are ten days from the site of incident. As they travel, the group encounters a rampant construct, an iron cobra. Um, anyone below a 15 does not notice what appears to be a large metal snake. What the f- What? <laughs> if it was a snake, it would have bit her. <laughs> Their attacks are ineffective against a construct, but Nordmere's keen sight spots a weakness, a glowing orb in the construct's chest. Targeting the orb, the party is able to disable the beast. Upon inspection, Casanova identifies the orb as a new invention in the arcane field, an arcane battery. The arcane battery is a design to interchangeably power arcane devices. Additionally, they identify this construct as having been produced commercially by the Wizard Golem Factory to the north. Continuing on, Casanova entreats Balder to accompany the group further on their journey. Despite being many days out of his contract to accompany them. What does Mr. Baldor say? <laughs> it might be nice to make a little of your coin. I'm not too interested in it, honestly. I'm, I'm, even, I'm not even technically a part of this second contract. I'm only here on the first one. But you guys needed the card, and I'm responsible for the card, so I couldn't just take it. So, I mean, I'm here right now, but I really want to go home to my wife. Casanova's charm is enough to convince him to continue to aid them on one more stop before returning home to his wife. A few days later, the party encounters an unusual pack of wolves. Unusual in that they took on a goblinoid form and spoke out to Varric. They call back to you. Um, however, everyone understands them. Ooh. As they call back in common. Uh, wait, wait, wait. The wolves are speaking in common? Yes. They admitted to tracking a figure from his past referred to as Master Elbin. Barrett claims this man is dead to a group of orcs two years prior. But Nordmere senses truth in what the goblins claim, as well that they have spent the last year training under him before also believing him to be killed by a tribe of works. However, they later tracked him to a nearby town, alive and well. They now hunt him for an explanation. They offer to allow Varric to join them. Feeling a need to finish his current obligation, he opts to stay with the party and meet with them further north at a later time, perhaps in Brunswick, where the goblins presume Elbin is headed. A short day later, the party arrives at the attack site, they find the remnants of a cart and mostly scavenged remains and a letter from the benefactor. Uh, it is basically uh, a day and a time, um, and it is signed the benefactor. Giving a time and location, presumably information on the attack. 
Spotting the fortress in a nearby forest, which matches that which Call saw in his vision, the party decides to head into the forest in search of the band of orcs, which have now been identified as belonging to the Open Palm clan. Varric and Nordmir scout ahead, and an unfortunate misstep leads to a dangerous swinging log trap being set off. You are walking through and you hear that that, that twang of a tripwire moving, and you just get that gut-sinking sensation of, oh, I, I messed up, I messed up, oh no. Uh, just as you're thinking this, you hear from off to your left this and just in the nick of time, you just Van Damme splits, drop to the ground as a massive log comes swinging over you. The noise alerts guards at the nearby fortress, and the party attempts to regroup before they are caught by a group of four orc guards. Having just enough time to fortify a position, the party makes quick work of the orcs. They do manage to save one orc's life in order to question him about what they might find in the fortress. I'm the one asking questions. So, I'm going to ask you questions. If we change any falsehood, any, any, uh, any guff from you, and take care of you. But, I'll talk, talk truthfully. It sense that your information is good, and I might, might give you a warrior's death. After a brief interrogation with the orc, the party was able to find out that the fort was guarded by a number of orcs, a priest, and someone referred to as the Guard. Through an excellent use of speak with animals, Varric spoke with an owl named Willywood. He is uh, just a tawny owl. He looks, if you had, if he was a humanoid in shape, he might look like Owl from, uh, from he's just got dark brown feathers. He's kind Does of... he talk like Owl? You don't know. No one's talked to him. Oh my gosh. David, talk to him. <laughs> I haven't had a, had a chance yet because we've been discussing whether or not he's a thick owl. <laughs> well, we still never got that answer. He's, he's a little bit tubby, yeah. <laughs> Through promise of an easy meal, Willie Wood advised the party of an overhead layout of the outer fort. More scouting, a long rest later, and the party was at the gates. Nordmir and Call waited to the north while the rest of the party created a distraction with a frontal assault. This plan quickly fell apart as the assault began and the party was noticed. Still, the party was able to defeat the outer guards and breach the walls. After some discussion, the party settled to light the roof ablaze and smoke out those within. Does anybody have any fire? Yes. I was yeah. going to say, the guy that just shot a fire arrow. So, can we... I can do fire bolt. Can we chop down a tree, throw it inside on fire? Let's smoke them out. They waited patiently as the roof caught fire and kept watch on what they presumed to be the only entrance to the fort. To their surprise, the attack came from the side as from around the corner, the remaining orcs, priest, and an angry-looking ogre attacked. After a harrowing battle in which Nordmir faced near death, the halfling was able to deliver the last blow against the fleeing priest. 
Despite Aaron's best efforts, the fort was still smoldering at the conclusion of the fight and the party lacked the means to fully quench the flames. Smoke choked the halls and posed a serious threat to the party. Thankfully, a clever use of the now open secret passage allowed the party quick access to the treasure room and the stolen goods inside. Now victorious and laden with new items and treasure, the party returned to the caravan. Thoroughly exhausted, they found no sign of their cart driver, Balder. They did find, however, a note. Uh, and you make it back to the cart. Is Balder alive? Um, you actually do not see Balder there. What the fuck? The note indicated that Balder had returned to the town via a provided scroll by the guild. After the party's prolonged absence, Balder did not feel safe on his own through the night. In the morning, the party found within the cart a compartment with a magical delivery system. The party now had the promised Stone of Farspeech linked to the Bellion hub. Casanova conveyed her thanks, and the party set off to the border of Grundleware to conclude the current contract. As the party arrived at the border of Grundleware, they were met with a party of four. Two dwarves, a tiefling, and a strange-looking elf. The elf was revealed to be in a ladron, a high elf from the Feywild. He told the party he had been transported here from the Feywild to search for someone. Specifically, he was sent to search for someone who he believes to be Casanova. Who are you, who are you looking for? He just chuckles. Why, it's you, as a matter of fact. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Do you really say that? Yes. The party discusses and ignores the protests of Varric as they allow the Aladrin named Erden Silveranth to join the party under close observation. The party is paid for the contract completion and continues north to the Wizard Golem Factory to return the Iron Cobra and try to get some answers as to why it was going crazy. A few days later, while on the road north to the Golem Factory, the party was attacked by a Pegasus. A battle? Very Let's quickly. get rid of these horses. We can have a Pegasus horse pulling our cart. I think um, actually, I think actually, Erdan, uh, Erdan looks up and says, Ah, oh, you certainly have very strange birds around here. <laughs> Through use of his magic, Varric was able to communicate with the celestial creature on a bestial level. He heard a pained beast driven mad by the magic. Casanova, through telepathy, and Varric, through empathy, attempted to calm the beast and offer it help. But madness had dug too deep, even so far as to create a maddening poison in the beast's bite, infecting Varric with paranoia and call with the need to clean himself. Party eventually slew the creature, regretfully. So you see uh, this halfling who sort of just sort of sat in his seat most of the, most of the fight, just sort of trying to calm the situation as best he could, takes a deep sigh as he takes his short bow off his back, notches a single arrow, takes a brief moment to aim, and releases as this, this singular arrow pierces through the eye, and almost without a, without a single twitch, the creature plummets to the ground and stops moving. Aaron's study of the healing arts informed her that restoration magic could heal her comrades but her powers were not great enough to give benefit to the lost Pegasus. The party mourned the loss of the majestic Celestial. Continuing on, the party arrived at what must be the Golem Factory, an austere building walled and guarded by iron golems. 
upon presenting the broken arcane battery and advising of the return of the rampaging iron cobra, the golems opened the gate. Nordmir chose to stay outside the compound with the cart and guard the construct that they were returning. Inside, the rest of the party met with Gary II, a flesh golem construct unlike any they had met, with some form of autonomy and speech. Hello and welcome to the Wizard Golem Factory, a wizard's one-stop shop for all your arcane servant needs. Not a wizard, no problem. Our payment options are flexible. Need that unending help on the farm? Need security for your event? We also offer rental services. My name is Gary Two. I press zero. It gave them a brief tour of the facility before bringing them back to the entrance hall to introduce them to Keith and Horth Nasian a couple who had run the factory for the last two decades. They thanked the party, and Keith offered reward. Horth left curtly to return to his enchanting. Through some clever persuasion, Casanova was able to increase the reward to 50 gold and an arcane device, specifically gauntlets of arcane strength, and a small arcane battery to power it. As she was haggling for more, Horth returned looking bloodied. He advised the party that a mound of flesh he was working on got too close to one of the arcane batteries, and it seems to have mechanized without purpose. Well, someone moved my flesh mound and put it too close to the arcane batteries. It's managed to swallow them and is charged without purpose. It it'll wreck everything if we don't stop it. Uh, he looks to Look you all and says, You lot seem adept at handling this sort of thing. Deactivate it for us. Do it without harm to the batteries, and I'll up whatever he's promised. He is willing to increase the reward his husband has offered if they take down the flesh without harming the batteries. Meanwhile, a pair of stone golems came and collected the iron cobra, and being untrusting, Nordmir followed them into the yard. He then stealthed his way around the perimeter, he came to the far side of the complex near the same time as Horst attacked, Witnessing the flesh strike out, he decides to act. Uh, so, Nordmir, you see this sort of shambling man who's just, who's just attacked some, some other person in this room. So what would you do? Well, I will try and sneak up on it and maybe ho hopefully cut its head off. Nordmir attacks the flesh monster in a, a surprise move. It is hurt but spins on the halfling and deals a stunning blow. He quickly retreats after feeling some force weaken his magical blade. He rejoins his friends and warns some of the beasts and his mysterious ability to weaken them. The battle that follows is difficult, as the beast somehow projects an anti-magic cone which strips the party of their ability to do any damage to this creature. Eventually, they are able to slay the construct and save the three encased batteries. Uh, so from her sort of out-the-door angle, you see... Casanova sort of lean in and make sort of finger guns and sort of like his bolts. I uh, wink. I wink as I do it. <laughs> so she makes finger guns and she winks and this sort of golden light shoots out of her fingertips and then just sinks into the flesh and it's almost reminiscent of each time a ranged weapon is attacked. Uh, the dart and the crossbow where it just sort of sinks into the flesh and then <laughs> this flesh explodes <laughs> all over the room. 
Returning to the meeting room, Casanova and Call overhear a strange conversation from beyond the private door. As Keith and Horth reemerge, they thank the party and procure the promised rewards, plus a little extra. Call receives gauntlets of arcane strength and a small battery to power them. Casanova finally receives a bag of holding, and Keith agrees to link his stone of far speech with the parties in order to better keep in touch. In addition, the party is invited to join the couple in their private chamber for dinner. Walking through the door, they find themselves no longer in the factory, but in some stone structure. Looking through a window, Aaron recognizes the eastern mountains of Grundleware. Over the next few hours, the party cleans up and prepares for dinner. Unable to resist, Nordmere attempts to explore a private chamber at the back of his room. He is summarily attacked by a mimic. Only Erdan hears this, pulled out of his psychic conversations with some voice in his head. Uh, I think Erdan is at the moment walking around in, in this uh, dining area, just taking in uh, the room, the decorations, the decor. Um, and then when, when everyone scatters, he takes a moment to look down uh, at his hand, and then he says kind of quietly, Are you still there? You hear in your mind uh, a voice that you're used to now that uh, is the only voice that you're not able to block out. Uh, uh, yes, I'm still here. I like your new friends. They're interesting. You're traveling with a cleric now. That should be useful. <laughs> yes, well... Not quite sure how I got here, or why it is I'm here either, but I'm glad that you're still here with me. Ah, uh, I felt something happen when we were fighting that creature. I was worried. Thought maybe you yes. were gone. I felt it as well. A trapped feeling. One of the few times I've not been able to actually communicate outside of this. An anti-magic cone, probably. But that appeared to be some sort of flesh golem, not beholder. It's unusual that it be able to create such a field. He joins his new party member in defense. As to struggle against this creature, Horth enters and banishes the beast away. Erdan assures him it was merely a mistake and promises on behalf of Nordmir not to further explore. Meanwhile, Casanova has a private conversation with Keith and Call and Varric have a discussion of their own. Dinner is otherwise uneventful. As the morning comes, the party prepares to depart. Keith agrees to accompany the party to their cart, so as to inspect the teleportation seat as per an agreement between himself and Casanova. However, before he can join them at the door, the magic of the door is interrupted as a gate spell sucks the party through. The party find themselves in some form of a dungeon run by a large demon who calls himself Bactos, Demon Lord of the Abyss. Welcome to Bactos's beautiful Bavarian banquet! You are all cordially invited to participate in a once-in-a-lifetime cooking competition! I am your overlord, Bactos, Demon Lord of the Abyss. This invitation is mandatory, and forfeit a loss of competition means immediate death by pain and torment. Do you accept? 
He tells the party that they will be participating in his cooking competition or perish under torment. Defiant reluctantly agrees and scatters into the dungeon to acquire the necessary ingredients to prepare a wonderful meal. Casanova and Airden find themselves in a chilled room filled with butter and meat chunks. They gather jabberwocky meat and unicorn butter and avoid confrontation with the butter golem. Later in the competition, they return to the room to search a far hallway before returning again to the main chamber. But not before Casanova uses a scroll of flesh to pie to transform the butter golem into a buttery meat pie. Call and Nordmere travel together, finding a bickering set of cutlery who advise them that Bactos is allergic to learning, musicals, or stand-up comedy. They also find a recipe library, which Call begins to loot before a swarm of slug moths chases them out. In his rage, Call feels a fiery warmth bellow out and breathes fire. I feel something that, uh... It confirms the fear of what I have dreamt. Um, I will involuntarily let out a fire breath. Aaron and Varric leave together, but quickly part ways. Varric finds himself in a garden kingdom. After a tense conversation with the village people, their leader, a potato knight by the name of Russell Idaho, permits Varric to pick from their garden. Erin finds herself in the wine cellar and grabs a nice-looking cask of wine, but not before being attacked by the cinnamon skeletons on guard. Her holy power decimates the guards, and she gathers their remains for ingredients. The party reconvenes in the main chamber to begin preparation for their dish. However, Nordmere discovered a magic oven which allows ingredients to be combined perfectly. Casanova convinces Bactos to teleport the party back to the main chamber at the end of the time limit so that they can maximize their efforts, giving them just enough time to bake their ingredients into a beautiful vegetable and jabberwocky stew. During their fight with the ash zombies born of the oven, Paul rages again and feels this fiery warmth. However, before he can release it, he loses his anger and feels the energy explode out from within him. You feel that fiery energy just sort of burn in your chest and it feels like you're just going to explode and then you do just from <laughs> explodes from just from the edges of your skin you feel this heat and this fire and then just a huge <laughs> explosion in a 15 foot radius around him in the end the party is able to appease Bactos who awards them the immortal hen and returns them to their home plane Upon entering the factory from the tower door, as would have been expected previously, they find Keith in the meeting chamber. He advises the party that they have been gone for a week. After catching Keith up on to the events that transpired, he apologizes. The party gone so long he had to sell the horses for their cart as they were not equipped to maintain the horses. As such, the party is gifted a set of golem horses and continues on their way north. Before moving on, the party reaches out to the Wayfinder Society to inform Guildmaster Froman of what had been going on. Call shared with the party his vision and belief that his clan had been cursed by the dying breath of a red dragon ages ago, and this curse has manifested itself in him. Along the road north, the party encountered a paladin of the Oath of the One True God, named Josie. 
put it back. Uh, if you check under, I don't know if it's popped up for you. Oh, it popped up the journal. Uh, you should see oh. their mysterious woman. Mysterious woman. Cool. Who had been sent by her order to deal with the apparent goblin problem on the road ahead. They encountered two goblins and a hidden third, which demanded that the party surrender their belongings and food before they were killed. Erdan attempted to talk the goblins down, but as the apparent chief explained, their tribe had been massacred by a human's man who had changed his appearance. So they were distrustful of all humanoids, and battle ensued. The party was victorious, but the hidden accomplice was able to escape. As the party discussed whether to continue pursuing this threat, the party was contacted by Froman, who advised that there was a small contract for investigation of the town of Demsin to the south, as the guild had recently been named the Cantor Official Government Investigative Force by Mage Seer Frederick. They were obligated to accept the contract, which would be government-funded at 200 gold for completion. Josie decided to complete her quest by further pursuing the escaped goblin on her own. So she's, she's not dead. Like she's still out there. She could show up every once in a while and paths cross again. Okay, so Josie bids them farewell. Meanwhile, the party began to discuss whether to accept this new contract or continue north in search of both Call's tribe and Varric's old master. The party arrived a day or so later in the city of Brunswick. While everything seemed normal enough, upon their arrival, things took a turn for the strange when the sun set. The streets became bare. Even the local tavern was locked. Boys, you know what the second best thing about a tavern is other than getting shit-faced? Information. Wow. I start yeah, walking towards the tavern. Okay. Uh, so... You approach the tavern. I'm assuming you try to you go inside. Oh yeah, uh, the door is locked. And a voice from the other side told the party it would not allow them entry, as they could be the undead. Unable to convince the voice otherwise, the party was faced with horrid undead menaces. A keen eye and the primal senses of Varric revealed that these were in fact not undead, but rather fiends, demons of the abyss. An extended fight later, the party had dispatched these creatures, including a fire breath from Call. Thankfully, Aaron was ready to douse the flames. After some continued debate and convincing, and a witness to their deeds, the party was allowed into the inn to rest for the evening, until they could go to see the mayor in the morning and discuss the events the town had been subject to. However, sleep was slow to come for Varric who was disturbed by a ghostly vision. He woke with a start to find himself as a child, beckoning him to follow. Varric, you sort of start up in bed. Something, Something's piqued your interest. You sort of take a deep inhale, and there's something familiar in the air. Ah, hell. You see, standing in the doorway, yourself. But it's not you now. It's you at about maybe eight or nine just standing oh, in the doorway. Man. Silently alerting his party, Varric went ahead to follow this apparition, leading him down to the main room of the tavern, where he came face to face with his old master, Elbin. Through a tense conversation, Elbin revealed to Varric that he had faked his death because Varric had become too attached and it was making him weak. Elbin needed Varric to be strong and independent. He was to be an effective weapon. 
As a call to action, Elbin challenged Varric to find him, and disappeared into the night. Rather than venture into the night, the party returned to their rooms and enjoyed varying levels of sleep and drunkenness before the morning sun greeted them. With the morning, the party split into groups to canvas the town and acquire supplies. Through various sources, the party all learned of a strange goings-on near the town well. You all, uh, except for Aaron, uh, seem to have heard from different people at different times that there is something going on with the well. Investigating further, the party found a cavern emptying into the side of the well. They made their way down, and amidst the dank atmosphere, found Elbin. He congratulated Varric and beckoned him to follow through a portal to face his next test. Looting a small cache of platinum and items, the party paused a moment. Each agreed to follow Varric and help him find the truth of his master. They stepped through the portal and into the true hellscape of Alternus, the first lair of the Nine Hells. You see these rivulets of blood, red water, and ichor flow into the river, and yet it remains crystal clear. Off in the distance, you see an enormous structure rising from the dunes made of this... It's hard to tell at this distance, maybe metal, but it looks weathered, rusted. Welcome to hell. The party soon met a strange figure named Captain Yargalotha. He is the fair man of the lower plains. The party advises they are seeking Elvin. Captain Yar is familiar, stating he had in fact ferried Elvin down to the fifth level of the hells. He agreed to take the party there in exchange for ten soul coins. Would you be willing to borrow something other than soul coins? Gold don't need much down here, my friend. It's, uh, soul coins are really the the means of, uh, interaction, as it were. Party agreed and headed off into Alternus to find the coins. They were directed to a derelict war machine. Expecting a quick trip, the party spent three nightless days reaching the gargantuan structure. It was a trip worthwhile, however, as the party found six soul coins and three strange vehicles. They used one coin to power the largest vehicle, and as luck would have it, there was a spare coin lodged in one of the smaller vehicles, which came loose and roared the engine to life. The party made quick time to the captain, where they struck a deal to trade the five soul coins and the two smaller vehicles in exchange for passage down to the fourth level. For an additional two coins, Captain Yar said he would finish the trek down to Stygia. A deal was struck, and Captain Yar began to load the bikes. During this time, a strange dragonborn paladin arrived, claiming to be on the run from something which had killed her whole party. It's a wounded figure. Um, looks to be possibly female. Um, but most strikingly with two heads. Um, if it weren't for the two heads though, you'd think they were a, a, well honestly, you'd think they were a small human looking dragon. She barely managed to escape. The party is in the middle of offering passage with them when Captain Yar pointed out some kind of creature approaching. The creature was a spined devil following a dwarf. The dwarf claimed to be the victim of Marin, the dragonborn, 
who they claimed to be a devil in disguise. As the party debated which of these people to trust, the spine devil began to attack. Conflict escalated as the true devil attempted to charm Erdan. He was able to resist and use this as an opportunity to trick the devil by choosing which of the conflicting commands he received. Erdan observed the surprise and anger of each and was able to insightfully begin his assault on the dwarf. A brief combat later, in which Call was charmed into attacking Marin, the fiend revealed to be a Cambian was defeated. But not before Varric was also charmed into taking a swim in the River Styx. In the River Styx, you splish down into the water, and as you come back up, you... are swimming. Huh. Why... Why am I swimming? Where... am I... What is... You find yourself... completely... void... of... thought. Your intelligence and charisma scores are effectively one. Oh, fantastic! I'm even dumber. That's dangerous. You cannot cast spells. Cannot activate magic items. You cannot understand language or communicate in any intelligible way. Is his dog still there? You can identify friend versus foe. Uh, you are acting on instinct. You are wiping his mind in a feeble mind effect. Now void of any intelligence, the party struggles with what to do next. Marin is able to tell the party that his mind will return with time, but his memories may not. The party brought Marin aboard, and Captain Yar agreed to transport them down the levels. Unfortunately, before they arrived at the next level, it was discovered that Marin was freeing the souls of the coins they had given to the captain. Enraged, he shoved her overboard, and a creature claimed her from beneath the waters. And you, um, and Varric, you, you awaken uh, on deck to see Captain Yar slamming open his doors and just wheeling out and spinning and seeing... You see, Marin has just sort of finished up. Uh, she's sort of tossing... The, of this coin overboard and he looks says, you filthy bitch and he wheels over to her and just rams into her and you see her topple over the edge of the boat and fall into the river he turned on the party and told them they were responsible and would now need to replace the coins three coins each to continue down through the remaining levels of the hells they eventually arrived in discord and took a moment to think of what comes next. The party finds themselves in the rust-iron city filled with all manner of strange, devilish creatures. Unable to truly find their way, Defiant roams blindly for several hours before finally asking what appears to be two guards for directions. Guards direct them up the street to a shop run by an old crone by the name of Falgrith. And you see, as you sort of enter into the shop, sitting sort of hunched behind the counter this sort of 
homely looking woman. Um, is it the bag perhaps lady? A, perhaps a dwarf or maybe just a human. But she's, it's hard to tell. She's sitting behind the counter and she looks fairly hunched over. She sees you all. There's just a quick... Hello! My name <laughs> is Falgrith. Please, please, peruse my wares. When they arrive, Falgrith offers them a deal. She agrees to transform their living souls into soul coins, an exchange rate of roughly 15 coins per soul, but will charge a small fee. In addition, for 10 soul coins, she claims to be able to cure Varric's mind of the effects of the sticks. Party refuses and ventures back out into the street in search of the fighting courts, a judicial system in Discord where devils make bets on the trials. Before they find it, however, the party decides to rest in what seems to be a simple inn run by two half-elves, a male and female. Resting as easy as one can in such a place as hell, the party awakens to find that some of them have lost the desire to leave the inn. Aaron, Varric, and Nordmir, you had the best night's sleep that you have ever had. <laughs> I mean, I, Aaron, the. I don't know if Casanova let you have the bed or what it was, but. Whew, you have not slept that good in ages. And Nordmir, Varric's shifter form is just so fluffy combined with the soft, plush blankets on this bed. Holy cow. I, You guys cannot see a reason why you should ever leave this hotel. Oh, no. A scuffle ensues in which Call, Casanova, and Erdan attempt to drag their party members out of the inn. Casanova is able to bring Aaron out, but Call and Erdan were not. Seemingly under the direction of the half-elven owners, the two stopped trying to escape with their party and instead let them enjoy the amenities of this Garden of Delights. Come on, I can't. I'm like, I'm like freaking out. Twelve might be okay. Maybe it's a ten DC with uh, a twelve. Uh, she calls out to you, and she's right. You really shouldn't be taking people out here against their will. Oh my god! No! No! Call exits the hotel with Aaron and Casanova seemingly shakes whatever control was on him. With a calm head, he suggests they re-enter the hotel and try to work this out with Jester and Jessica, the proprietors. Aaron and Casanova, still being distrusting, suggest casing the hotel for other entrances before planning their next move. They split an Aaron and Casanova one way and call presumably the other. Aaron and Casanova do not find any additional entrances, but do learn that the archdevil of this lair, Despater, has decreed that no devil may enter the Garden of Delights, as it is for visitors only. And as such, the devils give it a wide berth, so no misconstrued intent may be applied. A little defeated, but still determined, the two return to the front of, to regroup with Call. Call, however, cannot be found as he did not go around to the other side, but instead went back inside in search of Jessica. Uh, then I go back inside, promptly. Oh I will come up to the front desk. 
He finds them and begins to report what he has learned from his friend's plan. As promised, through their telepathic link, Jessica brings Call to their private office with Jester and administers a kiss, draining some of Call's life force in the process. Still not able to shake their charms, Jester takes his turn and drains again. This, however, is enough to break the charm and Call flies into a rage, expelling his fire-breath curse and initiating combat. Fortunately, despite a close effort, Call falls unconscious. Uh, so she's sort of sort of raking them across your chest, and so she, she she's like, you see this fear in her eyes, and you can see her like she wants to run away, but she's like she saw what you did to her brother when he ran away, and so she's like, uh, she sort of um, breaks I out at you wildly with her claws against your chest. Want to grab her hand and just pierce like my own heart with her claws and look stare right into her eyes as. As I expire. Aaron uses her blessing to locate Creature and seek out Call, finding him laying in bed with Jester and Jessica about to depart. However, due to a preemptive casting of spirit guardians, Casanova's spectral narwhals impale the two, who, still not being recovered from their recent fight with Call, fall dead to the ground, reverting to their true forms as Incubus and Succubus. They both take 17 radiant damage as your Norwals just sort of pierce into them and they both drop. They're dead? They both oh my. drop to the ground. Holy shit! During all of this, Erdan, having also broken his charm, investigates the library he's been brought to, finding no hidden places but stumbling across a bit of interesting knowledge. A scroll of true resurrection. Magic of particular interest to the voice in his head. During his research, Erdan is able to pierce the veil of this illusion, come to terms with the horror of this hotel. And you you sort of come to the realization... <laughs> um, you come to the realization that this is some bad news here. Um, uh, what do you do from there? Uh, well, I guess... With the page uh, now secured, I will just make my way out, seeing nothing of, of interest other than, you know, flesh books. Upstairs, Nordmir enjoys a spa day before rejoining Varric in the banquet hall. It is here that he too breaks his charm and is sickened at the sight before him. Rejoined by Erdan, the two work to trick the enfeebled Varric into following them. The party rejoins and shares their collective knowledge, including the presence of two near-identical keys found on the owner's bodies. But you do find on their person two keys, two identical keys. The party then decides to investigate the private room more thoroughly for more information. As they investigate, the party finds within the private chambers an impressive cache of loot, including 200 soul coins. Among other things, the party also finds an imprisoned genie named Devon. After some wary discussion and the promise of two wishes, the party releases Devon. Their first wish is quickly spent restoring the mind of Varric. The other is a matter of some debate. Eventually, they agree to wish for a bag, which will allow them to carry safely the 200 soul coins. Devon creates the bag and takes his leave. 
Amidst the wishes, the party finally realizes that beyond where the genie was held was another captive, a familiar paladin, Josie, unconscious and chained to the wall. Discovering her equipment and keys to her binds, the party gathers her up and begins to make their way out of the hotel. But not before Varric, having been mostly pensive since his return to his senses, finally breaks the silence, revealing that while his intelligence was restored, perhaps not all of his memories were. He no longer has any memory of Call as a member of Defiant. And that's it. Including the missing session, you are now fully caught up on the Defiant adventures of Defiant. Thanks for joining us this week, and I'm sorry that we won't have anything new for you. For our Patreon subscribers, I apologize to you as well, as you're getting the same thing as all of our other guests this week. Look forward to next week, when our brand new adventure is coming out. Party is joined again by guest star Deanna Adams, as Josie, the paladin of the One True God. Ren's Campaign Trail was written and composed by Aaron Holbrook and is used with permission. Music for today's session is by Alexander Nakarada at www.serpentsoundstudios.com Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0 For more fun and games, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash gamenightknd or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GameNightKND. Want more adventures without the ads? Follow us at patreon.com slash GameNightKimAndDill.